0: Blasting off in three, two, one...
1: To the feminist history party you've been waiting for. This is Never Less She Existed, and Kylie didn't think I would do it. <laughs> this is the podcast about the women of history who are underappreciated, overlooked, and sometimes completely forgotten about. The stories you'll hear on this podcast are recorded live
0: in New York City at Caveat, your favorite speakeasy that gets you a little smarter, a little drunker on
1: the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Each month, we do a deep dive into a different topic within women's history. Today, we're putting on our helmets, strapping in, and counting down to blast off, because Houston, we're going to space. We've only made two Houston jokes so far, out of two episodes, so. (laughs) Out of two minutes. (laughs) This is episode two of our Taking Up Space series, Woman Who Took to the Stars. Molly and I will point our rockets towards the celestial corner of women's history and drop some context on you, but we can't actually drop anything because we are recording in zero gravity. Okay, is that true? Look, the owner of Caveat is an astrophysicist. He wouldn't let me say it if it wasn't true. (laughs) He's an ally. True
0: ally. Later on in the podcast, one kick-ass performer will tell a live story about
1: a woman from the past who should be in your history books. My name is Kylie, and I sound like this because I just spent the last 24 hours yelling into a black hole. I'm, I'm sick, that's all. <laughs> just really sick. Uh, and I'm Molly, and my voice is as smooth as the Milky Way. Yeah, it is, Molly. <laughs> You're welcome.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get into it. So when most people do a mental inventory of famous astronomers they know off the dome, uh, we get the usual suspects. You know, Newton, Galileo, Copernicus, and yeah, they were brilliant men, I'll give them that. (laughs) But these brilliant men also had access to technology and information that women did not have. Women weren't even seen as worthy to be educated, let alone allowed in the telescope room. You guys had a telescope room, right? That no one ever went in? Must be a Miami thing. Sorry. Uh, Miami local humor. Uh, (laughs) And this is a shame because, as we know, women make great scientists because we have all the things that you need to be good at this shit, you know? Patience, attention to detail, resourcefulness, all the tools in the tool belt of surviving under the patriarchy, okay? And I hereby declare every woman an honorary lesbian because we all walk around wearing huge tool belts all day without even knowing it, so congratulations. Hey, Molly, does your girlfriend have a hobby? It's
1: woodworking. (laughs) It's woodworking so hard. (laughs) (laughs) she's hot all right (laughs) women have been banned from universities labs the whole caboodle for centuries
0: no 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 you can't just say caboodle by itself my friend you don't you have to say kit and caboodle i think you can just say
1: caboodle and i'm right because i'm sick (laughs) fine caboodle It it is limited number of words i'm making them count okay But even without the caboodle, they've still figured out how to study what they love and make discoveries with less training, funding, and equipment than their male counterparts. It's like naked and afraid, but for science. Naked and Afraid, where women and men are paired up and given two tools and have to survive in the wilderness as long as they can. Naked. I love that the dude could be given a full blueprint and a hammer and could not build a shelter to save his life, but give the woman like two minutes and she's got an entire filtration system set up with what made from like a rock and a piece of string. It's like that, but this version is called Heavily Clothed and Oppressed. Very sexy. I'd watch that. I'd watch it. (laughs) So women were forced into the role
0: of amateur scientists because we were not permitted to have official paid jobs or to be quote unquote professionals, right? So female amateur scientists have done amazing things
1: with nothing and then surprise, we're not credited for the work that they did. An amateur scientist named Eunice Newton Foote figured out fucking climate change 200 years ago. Rough name, great lady. So rough. Never underestimate a Eunice, all right? In 1856, she theorized that changes in carbon dioxide could affect the Earth's temperature. She discovered greenhouse gases. 1856,
0: y'all. So that year, at the 10th annual meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of
1: Science, or ASS, Where jo- <laughs> As I like to call him, As no one has realized in 150 years <laughs> You're welcome
0: um, So at this meeting Joseph Henry of the Smithsonian Institute Presented Foote's research on her behalf How sweet of him, right? Uh, she must have been on like the fainting couch Near the stage too frail from all the brain power She used to come up with the research So thank you So in his talk, Henry decided to wax poetic and declare that science is, quote, of no country and no sex. The sphere of woman embraces not only the beautiful and the useful, but the true, end quote.
1: Beautiful, useful, true. My new Hinge profile. Very good. I'm also going to include this voice (laughs) in the profile.
0: (laughs) Audio Hinge profile. Mm -hmm. So foot was never mentioned when it came to the origins of climate science. You might say, Kylie, that she was nothing but a footnote. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I can do it too, even though I'm not sick. Uh, A man named John Tyndall was given credit for the discovery of greenhouse gases in 1859, which, if I do the math right, is three years after 1856 when Eunice did, right? Nailed (laughs) it. Nailed it. Nailed it, Math. So now this might have been a genuine mistake, but Foote was not given the platform she deserved, so her discoveries weren't widely publicized. Um, we should also note that, uh, this is just a side note, uh, that Tyndall was trash, trash, <laughs> trash a garbage person. Uh, we needed to note that, uh, he wrote that women, quote, have more feelings and less intellect than men, end quote. <laughs> oh yeah. And he openly opposed women's suffrage. You know what, John? I have a quote-unquote
1: feeling that you're a douche cannon. You know, I tried a douche cannon once, and it was super uncomfortable. Kylie!
0: How many times do I have to tell you? Do not use a douche! You ever put Mentos in a Coke
1: bottle? It was kind of like that. Kylie, no.
0: (laughs) I've told you a million times, your vagina is a self-cleaning car wash. Heard her here first, folks. I've told her so many times. (laughs) We're putting that on a mug! (laughs)
1: You ever... (laughs) By the way, Foot did this study with nothing but a mason jar in a dream. For the experiment, she filled a bunch of glass jars with water vapor, carbon dioxide, and air, and compared how much they heated up in the sun. Mason jars, not just for jams and rustic millennial weddings, now for predicting the future collapse of the planet. Fun! Fun! Very fun! So this alienation from academia
0: is one of the causes of the Matilda effect, Uh, Which is not the dope sequel to the beloved children's film that we're still waiting for, Hollywood. It's actually the term for when men get credit for women's scientific achievements. Women like Rosalind Franklin and her work on DNA, the calculations of NASA's human computers, Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, Mary Jackson. And me and my discovery that hummus mixed with barbecue sauce is scientifically delicious. All women whose discoveries were or will be co-opted by men. Has the hummus barbecue combo been co-opted by men? Coming soon. Great. So tonight, or whenever you're listening to this podcast, 3 a.m., 4 p.m., midnight, we don't judge, we (laughs) love, uh, we're going to right some of the wrongs of the Matilda effect and celebrate a woman who is getting the recognition she deserves. We're celebrating Hisako Koyama, an amateur female astronomer who rose from making a telescope in her own backyard to being one of history's greatest astronomers. She stared the patriarchy and the sun straight in the face. Her story right after the break.
1: Hello, I'm Alyssia and I'm Lauren and we are deviant, deviant Women, the podcast where we talk about deviant women from history, mythology, literature and contemporaneity, women who aren't afraid to break the rules, to subvert the system, to explore, to seek and to challenge the status quo, like bisexual swashbuckling women. and bohemian artist witches, murderous queens, intrepid gender-bending explorers, hatchet-wielding zealot prohibitionists and jazz age icons who become resistance fighters and raise problematic rainbow families in a castle, that's quite specific, and trans activists. Each fortnight, join us as we dissect and deep dive into stories of some of the most interesting, difficult, and subversive femme folk we can find. Plus, we have PhDs, so smart and funny. So, join us on Deviant Women, the podcast. Welcome back, my little feminist sunspots. You're in for a real treat. This is Maya Deshmukh celebrating Hisako Koyama. And just a quick note, the prop she references is a sizable glass of wine. We love Maya, and you will too. Please welcome to stage, Maya. Yes, not a joke. Not a joke.
2: How are you? Oh my god. Okay, we got a lot of things. Got a lot of this things. This is a style. This is a prop. Hi, guys. How are y'all doing? Oh, this is not a microphone. This is a microphone. This is a prop, but a usable prop. Okay. So I am talking about this wonderful figure, Hisako Koyoma. And before we start, I have an intro to bring you in to my story. Okay. In 1997, Bono, the front man for the group U2, <laughs> sang the off-forgotten lyrics, I'm not the only one. Staring at the sun? Anyone? <laughs> oft forgotten exactly. He was right. He was not the only one staring at the sun. And while Bono's experience of staring at the sun was a very confusing metaphor for the tedium of a hot summer day, far greater things were happening with another oft-forgotten person who was, in fact, literally staring at the sun. Hisako Koyama aka sunspot queen made an entire career of staring at the sun she began she began as an amateur astronomer however her discoveries would be some of the greatest collections of sunspot data in the 20th century yeah sorry for that spoiler alert she's very relevant okay she was born in 1916 and she was able to achieve a high school education which was actually very rare for women at that time so good for her She began her astronomical journey at the age of 28, which, funny enough, you guys, is around the same time I began my journey in taking improv classes. (laughs) Hisako revolutionized the documentation of solar activity, and I paid $400 to bark like a dog, so... I digress. (laughs) During World War II, uh, Tokyo held lots of drills to prepare its citizens for airstrikes, during which there were blackouts. So Koyama took this opportunity to take her telescope, look at the stars, she would map them on her astronomical, I almost said astrological, that would have been very bad, (laughs) astronomical star charts, and her father, who was a good man, noticed her interest and he bought her a special type of telescope. He bought her a 36 millimeter by 60, in case you guys wanted to know, uh, refractor telescope. She initially was like, I'm going to study the moon. But that telescope was no bueno for the moon, so she had to change it and look to the sun. What a, like who would think to put a telescope to the sun? Like that's crazy, in a good way. OK, so um, it took her about a month to accurately draw her first sunspot sketch. She eventually garnered enough courage to send her drawings to the, quote, Oriental Astronomical Association Solar Section, FYI, I did not come up with that name. I am not problematic. They came up with it. We're going to call it OSS from here on out. Okay. So sorry about that. Um, so the president was very impressed, and he did actually confirm that they were in fact sunspots, and he encouraged her to keep making observations. Which at the time, this was like a you know a while ago, World War II, you know, so in the 1940s adjacent. Um, <laughs> So, you know, this was uh, really revolutionary for a woman to be able to do so much. She continued to hone her skills for sketching sunspots via a little method called attenuated direct viewing. (laughs) Yes. Do you guys know about that? Really? Really? No, its just my my way of saying it. Okay, cool. Um, she would place a telescope right in front of the window and she would use the telescope to project the sun's image uh, behind the eyepiece and in front of a piece of paper. And using that like reverse engineering like so she doesn't burn her retina's method, she was able to to sketch out all the different sunspots. Um, She eventually transitioned from being an amateur to being the staff observer at the Tokyo Science Museum, now known as the National Museum of Nature and Science, because I understand nomenclature. Are you guys into nomenclature? Okay, great. Again, this was super rare for a woman to have a full-time career. She never had any; she was not classically or academically trained in solar physics. So, to literally transition from like high school education to a full-time job at a pretty, a very prestigious um, museum was really, really impressive for her time. So, from 1946 to 1981, she drew sunspot drawings every single day. Every day. She retired in 1981 and would continue to work as a fellow for the next 10 years. By 1984, she had located and categorized over 8,000 sunspot drawings, 8,000 sunspot groups. And over her lifetime, she had over 10,000 solar sketches. 10,000. I mean, this was a woman who just literally just decided to pick this up as a hobby. And she has contributed so much. It's very impressive, Very humbling and inspiring. But that's not the end of it, but I just had to say that because I was, like, very overcome with all of her achievements. Um, So sunspots are a temporary phenomena, and they require drawings all of the times of the year. So she dealt with hot summers, frigid winters, and obviously you've seen paintings of Tokyo or Japan. It's always cloudy there. So when there's clouds, you can't really see the sun. So she had to, like, really like be patient and persevere oh my god okay it made that observation difficult so she she actually joked she made a joke uh that she'd win a competition for endurance if there was one i don't know if there is one but i think she would win um which is actually a true testament to her tenacity and in case you're like what the hell is a sunspot? Is it something I need to go to my dermatologist for? Is there, like, a cream? Is there, like, a Botox situation? I'm about to tell you, okay? Sunspots are a transient phenomena on the surface of the sun. They give off less light than the surrounding surfaces. They can disappear or appear for months or days at a time. They could be 10 miles. They could be 100,000 miles. And the sun has an 11-year cycle. Why not 10? She was like, plus one. I, I love it. Sun does not give a fuck, right? Uh, they're reflective of high magnetic activity, uh, such as solar flares or coronal mass ejections. I was, oh my God! Okay. Coronal mass ejection stance. I was like, well, I was like, I know about solar flares. I was like, I have no idea what a coronal mass ejection is. I had to Wikipedia that. I'm sorry, science people. I know that is highly frowned upon. However, I just did it, and it's kind of like if the sun took a shit. Okay. Um. Th- These situations can influence our own planet's electromagnetic fields. So, solar flares or coronal mass ejections, aka sun dumps, can interrupt satellite communication, thereby making GPS less effective. (laughs) But... (laughs) Sun dumps, I love it. Uh, Thank you. I love my own joke. Thank you so much. (laughs) I love it. Um, It also can help create something called Aurora Borealis or the Northern Lights, a.k.a. the only reason why Iceland is relevant. So Iceland tourism, you can thank the sun. So this documentation of the sunspot history is very important in understanding its future, how we can help moderate all the sun's comings and goings and whatnots, and how it can affect our ways, essentially. Right? (laughs) GPS? Yeah? Okay. good. So sunspots have been documented throughout history. Chinese astronomers knew about sunspots in 364 BC, as well as Galileo. He only did it for 36 days. Homegirl did it for like 10,000 hours. He was like, Galileo was like, "Mm, 36 days, I'm done. Uh, Moving on. So not only was she making precise solar drawings, she was deeply involved in outreach and often served as a conduit between amateur astronomers and professional astronomers. So not only was she like in the clouds, in the cold, drawing all this. Stuff. She was also whining and dining. She was saying hello to the children. She was holding eclipse events and whatnot. She was like a, the real housewife of the museum, which is kind of sexist, but I'm allowed to say it because I love the real housewives. Why I have a wine glass. Anyone else? No one? Okay, great. Not the audience for the real housewives. I see. Okay. That's basically my personality. Um, her data actually came to light when the Hansen Experimental Physics Lab, I think it's in Stanford, I believe, yes, was doing and undergoing an extensive research assignment in an attempt to reconstruct modern solar, da- solar data from 1610. And it's noted that Koyama's data was considered to be the backbone of their reconstruction. Very cool, so it's a vertebrate. Anyone, no, okay, yeah? Uh, it's not documented in history that any woman has made a major significant solar observation, which goes to show that women and their contributions are often not documented. So there's probably like millions of women that were doing so much shit and didn't get credit for it. So just think about that. And this is further proof that women were pioneers in the field of astronomy despite the world being oblivious to their existence. Koyama's tenacity, her grit, her perseverance has had long-lasting effects that will no doubt influence science for years to come. And Bono might be irrelevant now, but Koyama is still relevant. Thank you guys so much! You've been wonderful! That was the story of Hisako
0: Koyama as told by Maya Dishmuk. Maya is an actor and comedian in New York City. She can be seen performing as Brown Rice with her satirical fake K-pop group, Asian Pop, as well as co-hosting a monthly fashion comedy show called Fashion Police, where comedians break down trends very far from a red carpet. Uh, Maya has been featured on Betches, Nick Mom, Funnier or Die, and can be seen on season two of HBO's High Maintenance. She also works part-time as a general dentist. This is not a joke.
1: <laughs> uh, we love Hisako. What a rad lady. That was such a good story. I love that she fell in love with studying the stars during World War II. During the citywide air raid blackouts, Hisako would drag her futon outside and hide under it. She'd study her star charts with a flashlight. How crazy is that? That's...
0: Actually, Wild, I had no idea that futons were a thing before the 90s and that people other than my recently divorced uncle used them. Uh,
1: Hi, Kirk, (laughs) listener of the pod. How's it going? (laughs) Molly, I meant that she went out during a bombing To study the sky Because she was so passionate about astronomy Got it, got it, got it But honestly, that futon stuff is wild (laughs) Truly (laughs) We don't talk about futon history enough We do not So, uh, listeners Keep an ear out for the next installment of Nevertheless She Existed Bitches Who Slept on Futons We'll also be celebrating another woman in space So please keep an ear out for that (laughs) You're going to hear the story of a would-be astronaut Jerry Cobb And folks, it's honestly one of my favorite stories We've ever had had on this podcast, I saw Kylie crying the entire time the story was told. Yeah, because I can be a feminist and be vulnerable. I love it. Great. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening,
0: folks. Kylie, let's cheer to Hisako. You got your mason jar full of beer?
1: I'm definitely drinking beer while this sick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, my millennial friend Kylie. All right, let's cheer to Hisako. Cheers. I have a cop drop. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers. Hey y'all. If you love this show and want to support us, please tell your friends. The more people who listen, the more we get to do this. And if you're near New York City at all,
1: bring them to our live show. Nevertheless, She Existed as a production of Caveat Media. It's produced by me, Kylie Holloway, and edited by Paula Pickering. Our executive producers are Kate Downey and Ben Lilly. Head to caveat.nyc for live shows and coming soon, more podcasts. And if you like this podcast, please remember to hit that subscribe button and rate and review. Subscribe!